we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're looking at the book of Job. And last week we looked at different reasons for suffering. And today we're going to be looking, just kind of winding up on that part, but we're going to be looking at seven practical applications to our lives that we find in the book of Job that will help us in what we do based on the examination of what we found here. Uh, did everything go off? <laughs> uh, we'll get those slides back in just a minute. Here we go. I uh, want to start off today looking at just sort of an overall, let me give you an overall outline of Job real quick. And then we're going to look at seven practical applications from the book of Job uh, in our lives. And you start off with the book of Job. It's 42 chapters long. And when you start off, you start off with an, an epilogue in chapters 1 and 2. And then you have an, or a prologue, and you have an epilogue in chapter 42. And in between those is the meat of the whole matter of Job. And in that section, there are three debates. <laughs> this, is gonna, this is sort of like we are today. If anything happens, we want to debate it. You know, we want, and this is the same way with, with his friends. They're, they're here and they want to uh, look at it from three different debates, three different cycles that they're going through. And there's Eliphaz, Bildad, and Jophar. Three of his friends. Now, all I can say right here is be careful how you pick your friends. <laughs> because these friends were, were really gave him the works in, in these uh, debates that they had. But the thing we have to remember, remember last week I said that Job didn't know really what was happening in the heavens. He didn't know that, that God and Satan were having a conversation. He didn't know that God had re removed the hedge from Job as uh, Satan asked him, said, if you remove that hedge from around him, I guarantee you I can make him fall. I'll bring him down. And God said, you can do anything, but you can't kill him. You can't take his life. And of course, we know through it all that Job stood. And, and that's what we're looking at here. They didn't know, the friends didn't know what was happening in heaven any more than, than Job himself did. So uh, we look at this and these th three friends come in talking with Job. And they attempt to theologically and pragmatically deduce Job's suffering. Why is he suffering? You hear people today, you know, well, somebody gets very sick, and, uh, or they say, well, uh, they're not feeling great today. Or this person's in the hospital again. And some people will say, well, what did they do this time? Well, have they not been living right? Have they not been praying? Well, if they'd pray more, they'd be better off. You know, we, we, can, we try to, to go at it theologically, and we try to go at it pragmatically to explain what's happening and why it's happening. But I got news for you. There are some things 
you can't explain. And there are some things that are not meant for us to understand. Now, they had three cycles in this. The first cycle was uh, their respective arguments is found in chapter, beginning with chapter 3, and it goes through chapter 14. That's the first argument. The second round of debates from his friends, from Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, then it comes in with chapter 15 through chapter 21. And then you have the third round of debates. Now, can you imagine you're sitting here and uh, you have boils all over your body. You've lost your whole family. You've lost everything you have. And you're sitting there and your friends are in front of you debating on why you're, being, you're suffering. Can you, can you even fathom that? And the third round is chapter 22 verse, uh, through 26 is the third round. And then Job finally responds in his defense in chapter 27. And then there is another guy that comes on the scene, Elihu. This was another friend, a prophet that was there with the three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And then we hear of this Elihu, and this is the only place we hear from him. This is it. And he does his presentation also. But Elihu, now Elihu's name, I was looking that up, uh, his name means, uh, let me find that, he is my God. His name means he is my God. Some people look at Elihu as a, a type of Christ. What he does he prepares, he takes all of these things that the three friends are discussing about Job, trying to figure out why he's suffering. He takes all of that and he really gets on to them about it. And then he talks to Job. He is getting Job ready for God to speak to him. So he's sort of the intermediate person here between the friends who are putting Job down and God, who is going to vindicate him. And when, when uh, Elihu comes, he was a young man, by the way. And he listened to the debate of Job's three friends. He listened to the whole thing. And then he concluded that Job's three friends had condemned Job without finding an answer. They talked for hours and hours and hours and hours at nothing, beating the wind. Never came up with an answer, never uh, anything. Uh, and then he was sort of angered against Job in, uh, a little bit for justifying himself rather than God. So he, he was getting, he was between these getting Job ready for God to talk to him, who vindicated him uh, in the end. Uh, Elihu is identified only as the son of Barakal, the Buzite. That's all we know about him, the family of Ram. Uh, he offers his response whenever, after all the others have given their debates. He steps in. He's a young guy. And he, he said in the Scriptures, he said, I'm young in years and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. He said, I wasn't going to give my opinion but now I am, after he heard the three 
friends talking, and he gave his opinion, and he, he condemns the three friends for what they're doing. And uh, he confronts Job. The, uh, that, that's the only time we, he, we hear of Elihu right here. I mean, this is it. He comes in, listens to all of it. This gives you an overview of Job from beginning to end. It's an argument the whole time. People are trying to state their case on why Job is suffering. And uh, I want to go from there now into seven practical applications that we can learn from the book of Job in our lives. And one, the first one is trust before reasoning. Trust before reasoning. You see, Job's three friends, uh, and like I say, some friends they were, they, at their very best, they tried to explain what was happening to him. But in the end, their theology was rebuked by the Lord. God rebuked them for what they did. Uh, and we have people today who try to explain things theologically. And if you can't explain it theologically, then you try to look at the circumstances and try to, to explain it some other way. Pragmatically, we try to explain why things are happening. Perhaps this is why the book of Job is so long. The length of it serves to illustrate, it serves to sort of express, and then dismisses the futility of theological reasoning. And that, that's to say, let me put it this way. No pastor, no theologian, has all the answers regarding suffering. They don't. Scripture does not provide all the reasons regarding suffering. And we don't know what's going on in the heavens. So sometimes we can't go by our reasoning. We just have to trust. And we, we look in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, 12. It says... We see in a mirror darkly. I believe in the King James Version it says, uh, we, we, look through a dash, th we look through a glass darkly, I believe is what it says. The same thing here. In other words, we can't see the future. I don't know the future. I can read what Scripture says and I can guess at it. But we look through a glass darkly, as Paul says. And then in Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says... The secret things belong to God. There are some things that we just don't know. God is infinite. I made that statement last week. I have a very finite mind. It's limited. Therefore, I cannot understand all the ways of God. I, I never have, never be able to. The things that are unknown to me are known to God. And I look at it, uh, and I can only base my reasoning on where I've been, what I've seen, what I've, uh, what I've done, the, the things that are around me. I base everything on it. 
But God is so much bigger than that. God has so, so much more vastness to him. And God doesn't have to look at the clay and say, uh, okay, what's your opinion? God doesn't have to ask our opinion of what we want him to do. God is God. So sometimes our reasoning is just, is just futile. We have to lean back and just trust in the Lord. Anybody ever had to do that? You can't find a reason for what's happening. And you just trust in the Lord. Uh, God in James 4 and 6 said, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And as a result of that is meekness. An illustration of this is, why is it that hardworking, godly people have hard-earned positions and then they lose them? For no apparent reason, there's a job change. You lose your job. You're out all of a sudden. Why does it happen? It rains on the just and the unjust. And what do we have to do in times like that? We have to learn to trust in Him. All the reasoning, all the theological explanations we try to go through are null and void. We just have to learn yes. to trust in the Lord. And the second one, Heavenly matters affect earthly lives. What do I mean by that? Heavenly matters affect earthly lives. In other words, God's plans may affect you in His plan, in what He wants. It may be what He wants for this church. It might be what He wants for your life. But uh, what happens in the heavens with God ruling over everything, affects us. Satan sought from God the right to test Job. I mean, he asked him to, to test him. Just he, he did the same thing uh, trying to get permission from God when he said to sift Peter like wheat. He had to get permission to do it. Is that an honor to be in a position like Job or uh, where God removes the hedge and says, have you considered my servant Job? What if he said, consider my servant and put your name in there? If he did that, would we have anybody in the, in the Westward Church that would be worthy of that? Or consider it worthy. It's an honor when God calls you by name. But then at the same time, there's going to be suffering involved in it too. We don't want suffering, right? We don't want that. But... But Satan, you know, just as he asked permission for Job, he asked permission uh, for Peter, you know, he said, I'll sift him like wheat. Again, 
uh, your adversity in the world that you live in could relate to unknowable matters in heaven. I mean, what God has planned, sometimes He may want to use you in that plan. And sometimes what, the way He uses you in that plan may not be what we want. It, not, it may not be that you're going to be the person out front. It may be that you're going to be the janitor. And all positions for God when He's working with us, working with His people, no matter what position, when we know we're in God's will, all of them are important. Whether you're a janitor or whether you're the lead pastor. And all in between, all are important. And God, God uses us to fulfill positions so that His will might be done. And if we could learn that, and learn that wherever God puts us to trust Him and work hard, what a church we would have. Uh, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. God is our creator, and he doesn't have to ask the creation what he should do. In Romans 9 and 21, uh, I just know where I want to be. Uh, I'll get this in just a minute. In Romans uh, 9 and 21, he says, Or does not the potter have a right over the clay? So he is our maker. He is the potter, we're the clay. He molds and shapes us in the way he wants us and to use according to his will. It's not requisite that God has to confer with the tenants dealing with his proprietary affairs. He doesn't have to ask permission of what he's doing or why he's doing it. Isaiah 55 and 8 makes it clear. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And even though Job was blessed at the end of the chapter, the book, God never informed him about what was happening. It was, Job was the one that was affected, but he didn't know what was happening in, happening in the heavenlies. He didn't know the, the conversation between Satan and God. And then we'll go, we go to the third. The righteous do suffer. It rains, you mentioned this a while ago, it rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on all of us. In James 1, 2 and 5, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. So that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Here we have wisdom brought into it. Wisdom is the existence of emotional sobriety 
necessary to view life circumstances through an objective lens of biblical truth. Now, what did I just say? Didn't make a bit of sense, did it? Put it like this. It's the skill at living life for God's glory. When we learn to live life for God's glory, not ours. That's wisdom. And he said, if you, add, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. And adversity will do one of two things. What will it do? If you, if you have adversity coming your way, what, it'll do one of two things. What are they? It'll draw you closer to God or it'll push you further away. And that's a choice that we have. And the purpose, God's purpose is to draw us closer to Him because He wants that communion. God wants communion. That's why we were created uh, to begin with, is to have communion with God, is to have communion with Christ. And that's the whole purpose. Have you ever had those that uh, whenever people are sick or you have something happen in your life, it uh, seems to be sort of devastating, and then somebody comes up and says, well, he's got a spiritual problem. Or he hasn't been living right. Well, he hasn't been doing what he knows to do. In other words, they're going to say it's, it, it's your own fault in, in that case. But you can't, you can't blame this uh, on your spirituality. Or you can't blame it on somebody just because they're sick. They've got a problem. This, this was brought out in Scripture. Whenever you remember the, uh, it was the blind man that was healed, and the Lord told him not to, not to tell anyone, but he did. He went and told, and, and uh, the, the uh, spiritual leaders were asking him, you know, the Pharisees, well, what, uh, what happened? They were trying to catch Jesus doing something on a, on a Sabbath. He said, well, I don't know. He just touched me, and I uh, all I knew is I couldn't see. And all of a sudden, I can see. But we try to, some people try to blame it on spirituality or whatever is going on, but we can't judge people on that. If you try to judge people on that, great time. With also the scripture saying the, it rains on the just and the unjust, I bet everybody would be caught up in that. Am I right? Any comments on that? Give me some feedback. Anybody thought you were going to say something. <laughs> uh, but don't judge spirituality in relation to suffering. It just won't work. During this time, Job had no material wealth. He had no good physical health the whole time this was happening. Yet he remained true to God. Through all of it, he remained true to God. And uh, the devil just couldn't knock him over. If, 
If things were to come your way, severe adversity come your way, would it tip you over? Would it push you backward? Or would it draw you closer to Christ? And these are questions only you can answer within yourself. Another one. Perseverance is primary. We must persevere. The Scriptures bear this out time and time again. Perseverance is the, in the faith is a most noble virtue as demonstrated throughout the entire book of Job. The believer in the midst of suffering should never walk away from God, but should be drawn closer to Him. Uh, it's only out of pain that peace is birthed. And I'm talking about not just a peace as we understand it, but I'm talking about the peace of God, which the world can't understand. It's a peace which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 4 and 7. When the search for explanations seems to end, and you can't go any further, it's in a cold fact it's your perseverance that discovers the tent of warm communion. What am I talking about? What does that say to you? Brother Carl, what does that say to you? Well, you know, my mind's working right along with yours. Several scriptures come to my mind. Yeah. That's right. So this is, this world's not our home. We just stay true to the Lord and persevere through every trial and heartache that we have. And you will be a stronger Christian. I can say I've been serving the Lord seventy years. I can never think of a time that when I got through the call that I was not stronger than I was before I went through the call. And this is one of the reasons we studied last week. Some, one of the reasons for suffering sometimes is to build your strength and to build your character to make you stronger. And that's what God intends when this happens. Anytime you go through a trial, uh, a tribulation, so to speak, and you go through it and you pray and you're victorious and you come out the other side, you're a stronger Christian than what you were when you went in. Let me ask you something. If you, took, if you were going into battle, what kind of, say you're going into battle with a sword, what kind of sword would you want? If you know you're going into battle and you're going to have a, you, you're going to need that weapon, you're going to have to use that weapon, what kind of sword do you want? What? You want a sharp one? How do you want it made? What? There is no way in the world that I would go into battle with a cast iron sword. Cast iron sword, one strike, and it shatters. But if you take that cast iron and you treat it and you have to do what to it? 
If you're going to make it into a hardened steel, what do you have to do? Got to have some carbon in it, and you got to heat that thing. You got to put it in the fire. And not just any fire, it's got to be the hottest fire you can get. You're going to put it in the fire, and then you're going to beat that thing into the shape that you want it that will do the most good. And then you're going to take it while it's so hot, you're going to take it in and douse it in water in cold to harden that steel. Then you can sharpen it very sharp. And when you use it in battle, it won't shatter. It won't break. I want to be that sharpened, hardened steel. The only way you can get there is through the fire. And God allows us times, you know, that we go through times of detriment. We go through times that are hard, it, but it, what it does, it's hardening the steel. We become much stronger Christians when we come out the other side than we were when we went in. But in order to reach that, you got to be put through the fire. So is it an honor or is it a shame when God tests us? What? It's an honor when God tests us. Now that's not to say, and don't get me wrong here, don't, that's not to say that our hearts won't be broken and we won't be devastated and we won't sit and cry at night. And we won't cry out to God. Did Job cry out to God? Sure. In the midst of all of it. But in the midst of all the hurt and the pain and the crying and the asking God why, he stood true. And at the end of, I like what it says at the end of the, of the book uh, uh, of Job. It said, after this, the last two verses, after this, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and grandchildren for four generations, so Job died old and full of days. In other words, God blessed him for his faithfulness. So whenever we go through those trials, if we look at it, and people, the world thinks you're crazy, am I right? When all things are going wrong and you look at them and say, well, God is good. God, God, uh, God, is, God is still blessing. And people look at you and say, blessing? I don't see anything but devastation. What do you mean God's still blessing? The world cannot understand what you're saying. And now, that's the next one. I'll get ahead of myself. In spite of everything... In spite of all that happened to Job, he comes through and he says, God is good. Suffering may be intense, but for those who are chosen of God, according to John 15 and 16, it always ultimately ends in blessing. Now that blessing may not come in this life, but you mentioned it a while ago. You know, the, the cares of this life, the adversities of this life, 
can't even be compared to the joys that await us over there. But God is good no matter the situation. You can always rest assured that his or her well-being is in the hands of the Lord. And that's, that's the difference between a Christian and people in the world whenever we go through trials. We look at it from an entirely different standpoint. James uh, 1 and 12 said, Blessed is the man who, preserve, who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Perseverance is the key. Job 42 and 10, he said, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Can you imagine after your friends stood there hour, hour, after hour, after hour in three rounds of debates putting you down, and then Job turns around and prays for them. Boy, Gene, would you pray for somebody like that? <laughs> hey, it would be difficult, right? Uh, just in all honesty, you know, it would be difficult to turn around and pray for them. Here they are, have been putting you down with all of this. Gracious. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. That's right. That's right. Uh, it, it, it's totally amazing. But uh, God is faithful. And he blesses the righteous. James 5 and 11 says, You have heard of the endurance of Job. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion. And He is merciful. When we cry out to the Lord, does He hear us? Yes. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of Job's, uh, some people might call it punishment. Or the disasters that he went through in the midst of all of it when he was crying out, even though God was allowing it. Did God hear his prayers? Sure. But he trusted Job. God trusted Job to the nth degree. Even before the devil, he said, I'll take the hedge from around him. And you can do anything to him but kill him. And Job will still be my servant. Could, can God say that about any one of us? If he said today, I'll take the hedge around from around Coleman Peacock, and you can try him any way you want to, but you can't kill him. That would be difficult, right? I'll take the hedge from around Carl. Yeah, I'll take it down, but I trust him because he's my servant. And you can do anything to him but kill him. And in the end, he will still be my servant. What an honor for God to say that to one of us. Sure, that means we have problems. But you know, all suffering, and I, and, and I have to, to say that, you know, if your suffering is not explainable through, you remember we... We studied last week, 
You, you go through suffering to strengthen you, to comfort, to chasten, and because of sin. But if you look at all of that in its, you can't explain it in any one of these. The book of Job affords, affords a much better insight in how the believer should deal with the suffering as Job did. He just said, you know, I'll consider it all loss, but I'll still serve God. And though he slay me, I'll still serve him. And that all comes down to the reason why do we serve God? Why do you serve him? Anybody? Give me a little popcorn testimony right quick. Why do you serve him? Because he loves you? What? He's never failed you. He's never failed you. Yes. When we get to that point, all he's going to do is say, peace, be still. Be still. And it's over with. Like yeah. I mean, we all have, you know, as humans, we have breaking points. And God knows where that's at. And that's where that peace... That's right. And that's where that peace comes in. And that's where the wisdom comes in. Somebody else, why do you serve him? Just yell it right out. He what? He chose me. He chose you. Anybody else? See, when you have the right reason for serving Christ, all the rest of it will fall in place. You serve Him because of who He is. He is God. He's the potter. We're the clay. And sometimes it may mean that that pottery may be broken a little bit and have to be repaired. I'm so glad that God has a recycling bin, aren't you? You know, I've, I've often thought about this, how God takes, you could take a milk carton and you get it, you got milk in it, you pour it out and on it, it'll say it's made from recycled paper. Then they take that, put it, send it back, it's chopped up and it's recycled again. Same paper recycled. The next time it may come out uh, as a magazine. And there's print on it. It's different. I'm glad that God has a recycling plant that we can come, it's called the altar, that we can come to and when we know that we failed and uh, this container has just not been what it should be, and God just takes it, melts it all over, recycles it, puts you out there again, and this time you may be something wonderful. I'm glad for God's, for God's saving grace. But uh, the story on all of this in Job is that in the midst of all of it, God was with Job through it, allowed him to be tested. Job went through it, remained constant, remained God's servant, came through it. God blessed him again. He gave him twice as much as what he had before and blessed him all over again. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your blessings. 
And we thank you, Lord, for the recycling process. We call that salvation. Lord, that we can come into an altar of prayer and we can come before you and you can hear us. Lord, you hear our cries. You see us when we're in the midst of, of things that just aren't going right. And it seems like everything is falling apart. But we look to you and we say, God is good. God is still on the throne and I will continue to serve you no matter what. And Father, whenever we make that contact with you and you send your love down to your children and we feel the healing virtue uh, of the hand of Christ, Lord, it gives us that strength that we need to go on further, that we can go on in Christ and that we can be with you. For, Lord, we look forward to the time whenever you come again or you call us and we go to be with you because what we have waiting on the other side has no comparison to what is here. Lord, I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice right now would just maintain their foothold in Christ and say, Lord, I'm your child. You're my God. I will serve you no matter what. And Father, we'll give you all praise honor and glory in the name of Jesus we pray and everybody said amen. amen. God bless you and you have a great day today. <laughs>